Jen Bosworth Ramirez. And I'm Gina Polici. We went to theater school together. We survived it, but we didn't quite understand it. 20 years later, we're digging deep, talking to our guests about their experiences and trying to make sense of it all. We survived theater school, and you will too. Are we famous yet? Hey, I, oh my god, I was just preparing to say to you, my new favorite party question, not that I ever go to parties, is what country are you going to move to when they ask you to be a handmaid? Because I think the trick is the timing, you know, like you, there's going to be a point of no return. Right, right. So right? It's, you could go to Colombia. I Yes, I could. I, I feel like things might be worse there in some ways, but not eventually, maybe not. Like now you're right. It's a timing thing. Because right now it might be worse, but in about within uh, a couple of years, it could be better. So you're right. It's a timing thing. So maybe the idea is to like get passports. Well, the problem is when you get one passport, you have to turn in another, I think, unless you're a secret double agent and doing illegal things. Like, I don't know that you can be a dual. Oh, I'm confused. So we need that's we need a guest on that knows about passports. Well, uh, I don't know anything about passports, <laughs> but I will say I the reason that I would be allowed to have dual citizenship in Italy is because I can prove, you know, that that my ancestors came from there. So I probably the same thing is true for you. Oh, okay, I mean, well, I'm going to do you it. You only have to go back one generation. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> immigrant. This lady over here, right? <laughs> well, right. Um, yeah. It's yeah. interesting. I, yeah, I, there are a lot of, I, I mean, this whole thing has been, this whole uh, overturning Roe versus Wade has been it has been horrific, and also because I come from things from this as you do too, like the psychological lens, this trauma lens. I'm like, okay, the reactions, especially on social media, have been wild. So what I'm noticing is it's even more hand handmaid's tale in that. People then, other women are then sort of policing other people's responses to this, meaning people are like, well, I don't know why you're shocked. So instead of saying, yes, you can have your reaction, people are mad that women are shocked. Other women are like, well, what did you think was going to happen? We and, and I'm like, okay, wait, wait, yeah. wait, 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 wait. This is part of the deal. Like, let people yeah. have their responses. Let them. So I am not shocked, but that does not mean that it hurts any less or that it it is my job to tell someone that their outrage is not justified or not appropriate. What the yeah, fuck, Yeah, I mean, man? That, that's, like, that's like telling a little kid, well, your dad hits you every time he gets drunk what's why are you so surprised you know it's like well that doesn't make it hurt any less that doesn't make me any less fearful the feeling that i have in my body right now is the feeling that i had on election night in 2016 you know i don't know if i ever told you my story about that but just like every other reasonable person in the world i completely assumed hillary clinton would win and i wore my little pants version of a pantsuit to vote and i well, I came home and I had, I didn't invite anybody over, but I made, I had like snacks, like it was the Super Bowl, And I put up a big piece of um, paper, like that paper we wrote on when we were doing our, our TV show and with a map. And I was going to, 
I was marking the electoral vote. Oh my God. I teach my kids about the electoral college. And it's like, and it just starts going. I go, okay, well, it's not, it's not too bad. And then, and pretty early on, I realized what was happening. And I became immediately exhausted. And I went up to my bed and I fell asleep. And in the middle of the night, I rolled over to check my phone and I saw, you know, confirmed the worst had happened. And now I have that feeling again. I have that feeling of like, there's no hope. Right. This is, this is all bad. I, I, I totally hear you. I, Miles is famous for saying that I knew that Trump was going to win. And I did not, of course. But what I knew was when I went to the polls, it was the weirdest thing. There was this old, weird white guy, and this was in Evanston still. And this old, weird white guy in Evanston, which is very, very, very democratic, but he was handing out these flyers that were like very pro Trump and very like Trump is going to win and he should. Anyway, I had this sinking feeling. I was like, Oh wait, 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 this is Evanston. And this guy is like really sure. And also he seems like kind of a crackpot, but kind of not. And I, there was the first time at the polls where I was like, Oh no, Oh no, 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 no. I have a bad feeling about this. And then we went to a friend's house, big mistake for an election night situation. And, um, as the return started coming in, people started at the party getting drunker and so getting sadder and getting crazier and saying things like, well, that this is fine. Like I'll just move to Italy or I'll just move to, but like, it was like, um, the, the, the denial and the alcohol mixing was really, 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 really depressing. And I was like, I got to get out of here. And so we left before it was called, of course. And, and we, and it was, but I did have this sinking feeling when, when that, when the dude at the, it, it wasn't at the polls. It was like I had gone to Whole Foods afterwards. It's right. And this guy was putting leaflets on everyone's car that was like, basically get ready for Trump. And I was like, in a good way. And I was like, oh shit, if this is happening in Evanston, we've got a problem area. So I wasn't shocked either, but I was very dismayed. And the feeling I have now is that like, literally I feel like, like I kind of have a migraine today and I feel like I've had a migraine since 1975. That's kind of the feeling I have. Like every time something like this happens, I feel like, oh, this feeling again. I have this feeling that I am exhausted and and my head hurts. And um, yeah, and then online, it's just a a cesspool. And some things are great and people are organizing. And But some things are just... um, you know, uh, a lot of people, we all as humans, yeah, we just love to start censoring people's feelings and emotions about a, a tragedy. Yeah. Like, yeah. Let it go, Which is really just pe- Yeah. But, but also that behavior is just like, I am trying to control you because right. I feel so out of control right. myself. And I, it kind of like doesn't even really register yeah. that much to me. Right. But on Saturday, I went to a rally in you know, just like about 20 minutes from my house. And it's always a good feeling to do something when, when you feel like there's nothing to do. Um, so that was great. And there was about a hundred people there. So that was great. And the, the person who was organizing, it was a woman. So she, she literally said the very first words, but it was just to introduce 
this next speaker who was a man and then after that was another man and then after that was another man so it was five men spoke in a row about, about this yeah well what? okay so in the moment the first person who spoke was our senator richard blumenthal okay that hey he came here that's pretty right. great and, and he and he has a very good record right of voting the way that I agree with for women's rights, people's yeah. rights, human rights. So that felt right. okay. Uh, and then his son is also in politics. Oh, so, then his son, <laughs> so then his son spoke and his son gave this speech that I could tell, like, I could tell the, he did this thing of like, he was mimicking the cadence of how political speeches sure. go, where you say three sentences on the fourth sentence, you, you get louder yes. because that's, yes. that's when everybody's going to applaud, but then nobody applauded uh, and he was do. real confused. He was real confused. Anyway, but the, by the fourth man who got up did say, I think I'm the fourth man in a row to be speaking here. You know, he was kind of at least trying to acknowledge it. And I'm of two minds because on the one hand, I think, thank God that there are men in positions of power who who do agree with, uh, you know, codifying Roe. But at the same time, in a more like step, take a step back way, I'm just going like, yeah, but. The, this is the right. problem. Right. This is the so, problem. This is the problem that only your voice matters. Right. Well, I think it for me, it's what I call in LA at least the giving tense to the houseless situation. So we're giving tense to. It's the exact same thing, right? We're giving tense to people that have no home. Okay, so they have shelter now. Okay. Uh, but what, when are we going to really get down to the real issue of, of what's happening here? So, so I think, yeah, why are they homeless and what are the services that they like, don't have? Why are we yeah. not asking the big questions? And I think we, people are asking the big questions, but the answers are so uh, going to have to change the way the empire works that nobody is going to, um, we, we, we're not really answering the questions right so uh i think there's right at the every i saw this and i don't know if this is accurate but i saw something that the average the empire lasts 250 years and we're at 245 talk motherfucker yeah right time so um so uh i feel like um yeah, people are very afraid to talk about uh, civil war. People are afraid. Look, it's a scary thing, and 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 uh, no, no, nobody really wants that. But I don't understand where else we're headed. So, so while I don't like it, it's the same thing with the with the response of people. While I don't like that this is happening, it is happening. So I'm going to just say, okay, like I, I, um, I, I am not, I don't have any uh, faith that we are I interested in doing anything else, but, um, but uh, leaping towards extinction. Mm -hmm. That's how I feel. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not sure what else we're going to do because I'm, I'm looking at facts and I'm looking at what's happening in, in, you know, obviously climate change wise. And I'm like, Oh, we're, we're making choices. And, um, you know, people, out. 
Right. And also people are probably going to be like, well, there are people doing good work. And that is true. There are a lot of people doing good work. It just seems like uh, the people that are making decisions or the people, you know, with the most power are not doing good work, are doing, I don't know what they're doing, but they're, they're, they're doing uh, capitalism and what's best for, for, for their pocket. And that's, yeah, but we, even the, it's about money. It's about money. And it's also about, it's about money and it's about getting reelected because the, because the point of, you know, the reason that all these men spoke, they were all politicians and they were just all, right. they were just all running for reelection. And that's the other thing is miss me with your false. Like I'm not saying that anybody on that stage had false promises, but there's quite a lot of good politicians, you know, as good as they can be who run on these campaign promises and they never deliver follow through and maybe yeah. it's because they have a hard time you know getting their their fellow senators and so forth to agree with them but yeah no we're being selected out i mean like there's just really no other way to look at it and i guess i could say i guess we deserve it hey let me run this by you All of this doesn't mean that I don't still get involved in petty bullshit like I did ah! last night. <laughs> tell me, tell me, tell me all that. That's fantastic. We have this goddamn fucking bitch of a neighbor that I, I mean, What's she's the just problem? the repository for my rage right now. You know, it's like, it's not really about her, sure. but she, she's, you know, she's the person who, when we first moved into this house, very friendly, came over, introduced herself. We had kids similar ages. She's at our house for a while chatting. She leaves. She calls me 20 minutes later to, to in an alarmed fashion to tell me that my oh, right. children who at the time were six and eight or whatever had, had crossed the street uh, without me there. And that this was obviously going to be a big problem for me. And I, I mean, that just kind of sealed the deal. We we tried to be friends. She um, she started one of these multi level marketing. She was selling no, jewelry. No. I bought her dumbass jewelry, you know. And it's just been one thing after the other. And and she's like the nosy neighbor who's never missing an opportunity to tell everybody what they should and shouldn't be doing. And she has these two really out of control dogs oh, that no. that just bark constantly. And she walks them or attempts to walk them and she, and no other dogs basically can be on the street, you know, without there being a big kerfuffle. Now, when I'm walking my dog and I see her coming, I turn the other way, A, because I really don't want to see her, but also because I don't want to go through the whole thing of my dog. Yeah. It's a whole thing. Right. Well, my husband doesn't avoid things like yeah, that you with know? miles miles would well if miles wouldn't even notice until it was too late but i feel feel like aaron is more like i'm gonna just walk my dog he's like it's my fucking street and my dog and we still live in an america where you're free you're free to walk your dog so she's walking so he's walking the dog and she's coming oh, towards no. and she's doing her usual thing and then she tells him and and this was not the first time she said this she tells him it's not really a great time to be walking your dog right now as if like 
she gets to control. Oh, no, oh, no, 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 no. Well, my instinct, I really wanted to go fly into a rage over to her house. And I, it, you know, luckily I didn't okay. do that. I did go for a walk and walk by yeah. her house and have both my yeah. middle fingers up. And I thought, well, if I saw it, my dream, yes, what I yes. would say is, I'd tell you to take those Stellan dot necklaces and choke and hang yourself with them, but they're so cheap. All you'd get is a green neck. Yes, yes. You would just break. It wouldn't do the job. It wouldn't do the job. Oh, my God. But in a way, you know, having these petty things is sort of life affirming, right? In this weird way. It's like at the end of the, you're just like oh yeah it's just you don't like your right. neighbor people sometimes don't like their right. neighbors it's, right it's, oh, it's not it's not right, that deep so what did what did your husband say to her nothing he, i mean he was just like uh I, i'm walking my dog i mean like i think he was just so flummoxed by the whole thing like is this person really trying to tell me i, I, I would be walk stunned my dog? Because, yeah that's yeah i think i think he was I mean, stunned the audacity yeah i i um I, yeah, I hate, I hate her already. And I also think the real issue is fucking you feel terrible that you cannot control your dogs and you haven't done what the rest of us dumb, but responsible fuckers have done, which is train our goddamn dogs. Doris right now I'm paying a great amount of money so she can go to fucking Frenchie school so that when she let's hear all about it. So she doesn't jump on people and she doesn't do well. Okay. So when we, Doris is so I did not understand that when even okay so Frenchies are bred to be completely dependent on humans okay so like meaning back in the day they're not the kind of dog that's bred to go out on their own they're highly dependent they're like needy fucking things right okay great but that doesn't mean what I'm understanding is they still need pack training because the pack we are not their pack it's so funny. Like I am not a dog and Miles is not a dog. We don't understand dog. And so even these like sort of, you know, like fancy bougie dogs need pack training, which I was. So Caesar Milan always says like, you know, like even these designer ass dogs need freaking socialization. And I thought that meant she just needed to be around people and like, <laughs> it, she needs to be around dogs that will correct her. And so there is this guy who's obsessed with dogs that lives in um, in the Miracle Mile. I thought it was West Hollywood. I don't know where I am. Anytime I cross over, I'm like anywhere is, is away from Pasadena. So my friend was like, listen, there's something called this school. And they also have like Frenchie Fridays. And they ha- it's like a very um, Frenchie-centric dog school and the, they bring in this trainer that's a protege of Caesar Milan, but everyone can say they're a protege. I could say I'm a protege of Caesar Milan probably, but anyway, and they play Tibetan singing bowls for the dogs and they get them to calm down and they, and it's a lot of Frenchies. There's like 10 Frenchies that go there. And so I said, all right, I'm going to give it a, ch- a chance because um, Doris is great. She's just a tip, very typical Frenchie and she gets very excited and she doesn't know how to calm herself down so she pees inside and she will jump on you and she's really mouthy still at a year and so I was like okay well like I need to and and she she's missing 
you can tell like she's missing. Ideally, we'd get another dog, but there's no way in hell in a one bedroom that's this small, I would ever get another dog, especially not another Frenchie. So I was like, what, what to do, what to do. And this guy is like, that runs this school will send you recaps of the class today in Frenchie class. We learned, and then he will explain all the things that we learned. I'm not there. He's not, it's the dogs. It's like so funny. And then there's pictures. So she's doing great, but it is a schlep. It is 35 minutes each way. It is expensive. It is. So what I am saying is those of us who fucking don't want to be like your neighbor and are like, you know what? I'm going to confront the fact that my dog needs some work and that whatever that we are doing, Miles and I, isn't quite cutting it. And she's not behaving in a way that's going to make her friends like with people or with dogs. What do I do about it? I don't say to other people, it's your fault. My it's somebody else's fault. I spend the goddamn money. I'm spending the money and the time. And and there you have hit upon one of the very hardest parts of parenting, which is, and you've talked about this before on the podcast, getting feedback, negative feedback about your child is so demoralizing. You at once feel embarrassed yes. and enraged. Yes. You feel enraged with the person. You feel enraged with your kid yeah. for and, behaving and in such a I way. I feel enraged with myself. With with yourself for not doing a good enough job such that this wouldn't be happening. Yeah. It's really, really hard. And everybody has to get to the point that you have already gotten to luckily, which is okay. Well, I'm this, the good news is the bad news is I'm the source of this problem. And the good news is I'm also the solution to this. problem. I think we don't know how to make a lot of us. Fr- we don't know how to make friends. Right. So this lady, instead yeah. of being like, Oh my God, um, maybe I should just like say to people, you know, like she could do so many things. People can do so many. She could send a letter to each person on the block, say, look, I have these asshole dogs. I don't know what to do. If you have fucking suggestions besides euthanizing them, let me know. I would love that. Or can you help me? Or I'm so sorry. They're assholes. I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm working on it or I'm stuck. Just let people know. And then you make friends. And then when you walk down the street, people are going to be like, oh, there's those crazy asshole dogs just she's she's trying at least right yes there is a universe in which a person has crazy dogs like that and they allow first of all they allow for the rea- they allow us to acknowledge the reality that it's your crazy dog i mean that's that's the other thing i feel like i feel like we're stopped at level one which right. is she won't acknowledge that her dogs are crazy Level two, she won't do something about it. You know, right. it goes on and on. But like level one, it's like level one is like you were saying, it like is it takes some, you got to just really get to the point of being accepted, having acceptance that what things are going to go horribly wrong. And a lot of times it's your fault in some way. And a lot of times it isn't, but they still go wrong. And like, I just... I was talking about this a lot yesterday, choice points when we're at choice points. And I, I think it's really easy to be like, Oh, that, you know, people choose bad things to happen to them. I think that's garbage. People choose to be with, you know, houseless garbage. I don't buy that. But what I do buy is I know plenty of people with inner and outer, especially outer resources that don't, they, they, 
they do not um, meet choice points with any sort of uh, ownership and accountability. So they're just like, they don't have, they think they have no choices but to be an asshole. It's not true. It's not true. Many times there, you could have, my friend, taken a turn, neighbor, whoever, politician, and said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, I have a choice here. So it's interesting. It's like, just because there is this sort of bullshit uh, woo-woo movement to like over- uh, to, to like blame the victim. Yeah, that's true. But I think there is also a, a, a willingness to excuse behavior because people feel that people are limited. Fuck you, limited. We're all, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, so there's a, there's a line. And I think that we, that the black and white thinking of like, you know, all good, all bad, you know, all, everyone chooses everything. It's not, it's just not the way it works, but like, um, yeah, so I, I just no, it's not the way it works. Your so your thing recently is all about choice points. My thing is all about um, dissociation, and and I feel mm-hmm. I, I think I've hit on in the past. I've always said the reason I don't get along with anybody in my town is like it's all Puritan and whatever, <laughs> and that's probably true too. But there's another deeper thing because a lot of times I will meet somebody, and and I was trying to define what's the immediate thing that within seconds of talking to somebody you can proceed because you feel this is a this is gonna this might go in a good direction for me it's they don't seem completely dissociated right and people are going to hear that and think I mean a bunch of people with multiple personalities that's not what I mean or like in a fugue state not that yeah I really just mean the kind of person who says for example you know, my dogs are not crazy. My dogs are not crazy. My dogs are not crazy. Or my life is not in shambles. My marriage right. is not in shambles. My kids are not right. sick, whatever, like whatever it is, there's a lot of, you know, people have to do so much work to hold up these myths about themselves and their families and their lives. And I get it because to be in touch with the reality of one's life or one situation is completely overwhelming. It's so painful too. It's so painful. It's so painful, but at, so, but like, I need in order to have a thing with a human, I need to be able to look at them and have some vague semblance that they're not in another pl- on another planet. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes I get past that, and I and it's like, okay, but I still just don't like you, right, for, right, you know, right, for, right. for whatever reason. But I think that the majority of the people I encounter in life are in some type of a dissociative yeah. place. And maybe it's because of the pandemic and maybe it's because things have been a shit show for the last several years, but that well, that thought really clarified for me. Okay. Yeah. This is the, this is like the stumbling block I have with a lot of people. I have a friend right now who, I mean, she's, she's kind of a friend, but she, she's one of these people, like the day we met, she started referring to me as her best friend kind yeah. of, you know, kind of a thing. And um, she likes to drink a lot. And so I kind of pulled back on the relationship. And during the pandemic, I had a pretty good reason to. And after that, she's been contacting me and she's just not really kind of getting the hint. So I decided to take the the opportunity the last time she contacted me to say, well, you know, like things aren't really going that great. Like this and this and this and no response. No response. Because what she wants from me is to validate the myth that she doesn't drink too much and that everything is fine in her life. 
right? Yeah. And when I want to talk about how things are not fine, she's not interested. Yeah, that's really so a telltale sign. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, that it is. Um, yeah, and then I I take it a step further, which is in my brain, which is. I get angry because I have lit- I have spent so much time, energy, sweat, and, you know, sweat equity in looking at the painful stuff that I just can't perpetuate the circus show that, that it's okay. Today we are talking to Glenn Davis. Glenn Davis is one of the hardest working, busiest people we have ever met. He is the co-artistic director of Steppenwolf Theater in Chicago. He just closed a production of King James, which had also been at Steppenwolf. He just closed it at the Mark Taper Forum in Los Angeles. He has a production company with Terrell Alvin McCraney, and they've got 10 projects on the slate right now. He's a writer, he's a director, he's a performer, he's a producer, and he is uh, an artistic director. So please enjoy, not our, it was just Boz. Please enjoy Boz's conversation with Glenn Davis. survive theater school but mm-hmm. mostly I want to ask what's happening with you right now tell me th- what are you doing and what are you feeling and how are you today right now I am doing great I am doing a play here at in LA at the Mark Taper Forum called King James um, we have been here for over a month and we closed this Sunday all right, so here's my question to you. We talked a little, our first attempt didn't go so well in terms of our <laughs> tech. But so you went to the theater school. I just finished teaching at a theater school. Um, I don't know if I'm going back. They have a new dean coming in. Yeah. Who I had a meeting, who asked to have a meeting, and she was lovely. Um, if you had, I, I'm asking Teen, this question. She's great. Yes. Yeah. So if you had to go back, would you have gone to a theater conservatory? Would you do it again? Would you go to a conservatory for acting training? To theater school specifically or just one in general? In general and then to the theater school specifically. Uh, Yes and yes. I would say at the very least, even if I didn't learn anything, Mm -hmm. I made some of my strongest friendships at the theater school. So you have have not only kept in touch, but you are thriving alongside people Mm -hmm. that you went to school with. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So you would have done, done it again. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Favorite? What do you? What kind of art do you want to make, my friend? Like, what is your? If you had, a, I'm asking this to all my, our guests. We just yeah. talked to someone, and I said, like, what are we doing here on this planet, and mm-hmm. what kind of art do you want to make? Um, I guess I would say art that is impactful and challenges its audiences, and um, challenges our sort of moral and ethical codes, um, our our idea of what we think is right or wrong in the world. Um, Wait, can you say more about that? Yeah, I did a play uh, a few seasons ago called Downstate, and this play does exactly... I saw it. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Intense. Yeah. 
intense. I saw it. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. It's a, it's about um, people that live in like a halfway house. Yeah, they're in a group home. It's uh, group home. Uh, five sex offenders who have who have been um, released from prison, but into a group home, and so they have to figure out how to, you know, assimilate back into normal society. And um, you go into that play, you know, with your, most folks have, I would imagine, have their own very strong opinions about sex offenders, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, pedophiles, Mm -hmm. full stop, you know. Mm -hmm. And then this play, um, the best way I can explain it is that it makes you reconsider what you think of those people. Yeah. um, On a, on a sort of... um, uh, visceral level you you go in thinking okay I, I know I, I don't need to explore this yeah and then you do even just for you know this two-hour play and even if it's just a minor shift it feels like you've gone a, a far way out of the way to get back maybe to the same place but you you know Bruce Norris wrote this play and he talks about how he wrote the play because he wanted to uh, he wanted folks to challenge he wanted to challenge um, the audience's ability to um, to th- their capacity for forgiveness. Mm. And, yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm obsessed with the idea of who gets to be forgiven yeah. and why and what happens when, um, yeah, people make choices. And I think, you know, working with felons when they got out of yeah. prison, I learned that most of us, well, uh, yeah, I, I truly believe that most of us are like one bad choice away a lot of times from being in the exact same yeah. position as my clients were in or as the people in that play are in. And um, it's not as simple as we think. But, you know, I, yeah, I agree. So, okay, so you want to make that kind of art. Do you feel like you made that kind of art at, at the theater school at all? Did you? Um, I think at the theater school, I was less concerned with making art and more concerned with... Um, managing the cut system. Okay. We had a cut system when I was there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we had it there. Um, We had it too. And then, you know, just being a good actor. It was, it was primarily, primarily about self. It was less about storytelling. I didn't, I don't think I got to that place in my life career until a few, few years out of school. You do some work and you figure out it's not simply about me and how good I am in it or you know how much money I'm making yeah did you when you did the showcase mm-hmm. did you do the show okay so I was just the, the the kids the kiddos were just here doing the showcase yeah. there was no real showcase in person which sucked uh, yeah. this year but they came to LA and it brought back memories and so I was going to ask you about your experience did you go to New York LA and do Chicago yeah. okay what was it like for you what material do you remember the material you did and what was the what was your experience of that in terms of interest, mm. reps? I don't remember what scene I did uh, for Showcase, okay. but I did um, I did do a scene. I remember I was playing, I had a basketball in it, so I was playing basketball in the scene. Okay. I, I should figure out what play that was. But yeah. I did that, and then I got, um, uh, I guess, a healthy amount of interest in New York and L.A., and I knew um, from Showcase even before that that I knew I was I was leaving Chicago okay yeah. this is very exciting to me to, to so you you uh, what how did you know that like when you went there and you did your scene and afterwards they said so and so wants to meet with you or yeah. these people like you were you just like I gotta get out of here or what was the feeling like 
my next move is. Yeah. Well, I was cold in Chicago, so <laughs> I had just done a Chicago winter, and I was I was determined not to do another. Um, and I think for a long time I thought I'd go to New York. What What happened was I ended up getting a manage signing with a manager here in LA, ah. uh, right out of Showcase. Okay. And then th- decided, okay, I'm going to go to LA, and then I, I booked this other job that took me um, to Canada for two years, but I kept my L.A. manager, and then I moved to L.A. What, the, right what did you do in Canada? This thing called the Stratford Festival. Oh, yeah, of course. Right. Yeah. Two years. Yeah. Holy shit. So you went right out of school mm-hmm. to Canada. Yeah. Do you, How was that? It was great. It was, it was um, this sort of um, thing that I didn't anticipate I'd ever do. I didn't even know what Stratford was when I got the job. And so I went into, it was called the... Um, Birmingham Conservatory for Classical Theater Training at oh, Stratford yeah. Festival. Oh, shit. And so I go up um, and I study for 20 weeks in the winter in, in Stratford, Ontario. Yeah. Um, and then you go into the season uh, as an actor. So yeah, I was up there for two years. And then, okay, so you're doing that for two years. Mm-hmm. You kept your manager. Yeah, yeah. And then what happens after Canada? I moved to L.A. You just straight up moved here. Yeah. Okay. And then, and then you back and forth, or you were here for a while. What years are you? You're, you're a youngster. What years? It's not that long ago. I moved to LA, and then I, I was. I think I did. Um, it's the mid two thousands, and I, I went to um, New York to do a play. I want to say something like two thousand eight. Okay. Um, and then from then on, I started going back and forth between New York and LA. Wow. Um, I did that for probably about till about two thousand um, uh, two thousand fourteen okay. something like that. And yeah. then what happened? I'm fascinated. You have you have a story that I don't for theater school grads that this doesn't usually happen. So usually what we notice is yeah. you do the showcase, you pick a place. And you stay there for a long time. Mm-hmm. But you've been moving around. So then, okay, so after you did back and forth, how did you land? I mean... Well, I was living in L.A. Okay. And I had done a play uh, in New York. Um, and so I thought to myself, I wanted to be able to go back and forth. So I still kept my, my, my home in L.A., I guess I call it. And I would just... Um, I got a roommate in New York, and I would just go back and forth between the two. And so I did a play in New York in 2008, then I did another in 2011. And um, and then I think I, I probably let that place go in New York around 2014. Okay. Yeah. And then since then, you've just been... Then I was in L.A., and then um, I, did, I went back to Chicago in 2013 to do a play at Steppenwolf. Um and then I got a place in, in Chicago. So I replaced my place in New York with a place in Chicago, and I would just go back and forth between wow. Chicago and L.A. Okay. So now now you run the joint with mm-hmm. uh, with a bunch of, with Audrey and probably some help, some other, <laughs> Steppenwolf. Why did you take, why did you take that on? Um, like, what, 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 what happened there that you were like, this is the next thing I'm yeah. like fascinated by the choices people make. And mm-hmm. this is the same with my clients and the same with my yeah. characters I write. Like, how does that happen? You're going back and forth from New York or to from mostly now Chicago and L.A. Yeah. 
And then you're like, you're, you were obviously an ensemble member, I'm assuming, mm-hmm. first. Okay. And then what, how does that happen that you, Yeah. what happened? When I was made an ensemble member in 2017. Okay. I had just done another play at Steppenwolf. So I, I think I did like You were well. great in that play, uh, You Got Older. Yeah, You Got Older. So uh, good. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. And so um, I did another play called The Christians and had a, had a great time. And uh, after that, I... I had started to the other part of my life. I'm a producer oh, um, yes. in television and film. So I started producing and then it just sort of became natural to me, for me to want to um, sort of guide projects to fruition. And so when the Steppenwolf job came up, uh, Anna D. Shapiro, who brought me into the company, yeah. um, announced that she was leaving and the company did a... Um, the, the company has a self-imposed mandate that an ensemble member always be the artistic director. Oh, I did not know that. Okay. Yeah, it's only ever been an ensemble okay. member. So we did a search within the company, and myself and Audrey Francis, who you know, um, we got the most votes. And so, so it's a voting situation. Yeah, yeah, the ensemble votes. The ensemble chooses the uh, ensemble, the artistic director. I did not know this. Okay, this yeah. is very fascinating to me. Yeah. Okay, so you got the most votes, and... Why two people? Like, did they? Did, has it ever been two at the same time? If it has, there's rumors that it was two before. This, there's only ever been two in a formalized setting, yeah, or a formalized situation. So you and Andre, yeah, okay. Um, and so we decided to do it together because it's such a huge job, and both of us are actors working. Yeah, Audrey is also. Um, a director. Yeah. I am a producer. Yeah. And so we thought, you know, to do this job, you know, most times it's directors. Yeah. Because it'll, you know, it affords them the ability to still have their career outside mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. For an actor, if you're running the theater, and like right now yeah. I'm in Los Angeles yeah. doing King James. Yeah. Um, then it it who who do who does the staff go to? Who who who's sort of running, steering the ship yeah. while while I'm away or yeah. my counterpart is away? So we said, okay, if there's two of us, if we can sort of outline in any given year, that as long as one of us is on campus, one of us is steering the ship, tending yeah. the garden at any given yeah. time, then there's a version of the second work. So um, we we uh, we decided together that we would we would pitch ourselves together instead of one of us doing it. And so the ensemble loved it, and uh, the board thought it was a great idea, and so they contracted both of us, and so here we are. And does it go on forever and ever until you get sick of it? <laughs> no, we, we have to let them know. We do we do contracts, and so uh, a, a, um, before the contract ends, um, let you them let know. them know, hey, I want to stay on, or I want to... Okay, how's it going? It's going great. Do you like it? I love it. Is it hard? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's hard. Is it... Fulfilling, very yeah. Okay, uh, do you have any time to do anything? Do you 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 must because you're here. So you have, but you do a lot of things. So I guess my next question is, how do you do a lot of things and manage to not lose your mind? Uh, well, I would say that um, I'm a big planner. I have a lot of help. Obviously, okay. I have um, assistants and on and partners. Assistants, I have partners. Yeah. Terrell Alvin McCraney, who uh, my I was mentioning before, um, that you is, went to school together. We went to Paul. school together. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And he is um, my best friend in the world. Also, my producing partner. A brilliant, but but yeah, you're both very brilliant humans. Thank you. I appreciate so it that. Makes sense. 
And uh, so we have a production company uh, based here in LA, and we're in an overall deal at Universal. And so we 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 that's a partnership, and we have um, a team, a very strong team that we uh, produce television and film. And then at Steppenwolf, I have Audrey, who's you know the best partner one can ask for, and we um, we sh- we together. Um, manage through all the, the the things that are going on at Steppenwolf. So, and then you know when I'm going to do a play, yeah, I'm, I'm constantly in communication with her, constantly in communication with Terrell about all the things that we're doing. Oh my God! So I, I guess the communication is yeah. is really the key yeah. here. Okay. My question is, what would you say to like the students and my young students who are like, what kind of world? Am I walking into what in the entertainment industry? How can I take ownership over my career? What the fuck do I do? I always like to, whatever you're doing, something's going right in your mm. career. So, which is great. And I'm not saying it doesn't take a tremendous amount of work, but I'm also saying, is there any tips or like how to manage this life? You've graduated, you just, like you said, like you wanna, you wanna make it, you wanna, yeah. you, you wanna earn money. You want to pay the rent and still make good art. How the fuck do you do that? Well, you're, you're saying what advice I would give, right? Yeah. I would say the one of the first questions you asked was, um, you know, L.A. or Chicago, yeah. or you know, I would say pick the place that you like to live. Okay. Like um, a lot yeah. of times people go, oh, I got to go to L.A. if I want a career. You don't have to do that anymore. You can be in London. You can be in Toronto. You can be in. New Orleans, you yeah. can go to Chicago. So I would say, I would say, go to the place that makes you happiest, makes you feel like the best version of yourself, or mm. some approximation of it, and then um, sort of sit down. I always look at my life in terms of uh, five-year goals and plans. Yeah. What do I want? What do I want my life to look like in the next five years? Yeah. Um, and so sit down and make a plan. If that's to be a series regular on a TV show, then put all of your efforts towards that. If it's to be you know, a Broadway actor, then, you know, you know, there's a path to that, presumably. So I would say make a plan and uh, take some risks, you know, they might not always be comfortable, but you go out and you say, at least for, at least for me, I've, I've learned the most about myself when I've really taken a risk. And um, lastly, I would say, particularly for actors, yeah. um, become you know, did this happen by happenstance with me? But my best friend in the world is a writer, yeah, and, and a very uh, uh, accomplished yeah. writer. Yeah, yeah, like not, yeah, yeah, no slouch, like a brilliant, one yeah. of the most brilliant. Yeah, okay. And and I've because of that, I've, I've you know our partnership. I've been in almost every one of his plays. Um, I've we've created together. He's yeah. written things for me. I would say. If you can find a creative partner yeah. or partnership or ships, mm. you know, Rajiv Joseph is another friend of mine who um, we're very close friends. We've done two plays together now. We're doing TV shows together. Mm-hmm. Like find those folks that you're like, I just like being in partnership with you. And let's, you know, it might take five, ten years to create something together, but let's start the conversation. Yeah. Um did you know that immediately at school that these folks were going to... Because there's also... Isn't there a, a woman that you also are close with that yeah. you met at the theater school? Yeah, Alana Arenas is yeah. my other best friend yeah. and Alana, my two best friends in the world. Okay, so, yeah. so did you know at the at school, at the theater school, were you immediately like, I... 
I love these books and I want to make art with them? Or how did that No, happen? I don't okay. I don't think because Toro wasn't a writer at the time. Um, oh, right. So he was he was an actor in a theater school a year ahead of me. And uh, Alana was two years ahead of me. And but they just they were home. I met them and I just said, oh, you're my person. And so those two have been in my life for the last, you know, 20, however many years. And those are part, I've worked with them several times mm-hmm. over and over. Yeah. Um, they're both supremely talented. Yeah. Alana was on Terrell's TV show called David Makes Man. Yeah. Um, and she was amazing in it. So I think that, um, yeah, I just found them as people interesting and, you know, um, beautiful people inside and out. And they just so happen to be, you know, supremely talented. Yeah. But I didn't go in it looking for that. No. Was like, who do I like? You know, hanging out with, yeah. yeah. So that's that's essentially what it was. Yeah. Okay, what kind of you said you want to make art? Like, do you? Is it more that the medium doesn't matter as much as the story in terms of TV versus being in a or working on films or working on television or what? What is? Do you have a favorite, or are you just open to telling good stories, whatever form it takes? Are you that kind of a? Yeah, I think it's the the latter. Um, they're very different forms to work in. As an actor, I'm doing a play right now, obviously. Um, yeah, I get a fulfillment that I don't get in um, producing okay. uh, television mm-hmm. and film. But also in television and film, I get a, um, a fulfillment there as well, where I'm the, I have my voice means is, is hugely meaningful in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's not me making the final decision on something, I'm, you know, very close to yeah. um, the, the the folks in the room who are making those final yeah. decisions. So, as an actor, you're you're coming to be a cog in a wheel. You know, you're there to service the story. Mm. In film and TV, as a producer, at least, you're 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 the engine. Mm-hmm. You're you're providing the platform or the um, the landscape yeah. for artists to come in and tell their stories. Yeah. So it's a very different fulfillment that you know being in one and the other. Um, and so, I love them both. Yeah. Um, theater is is where I come from. It's where yeah. I first fell in love with storytelling and the Were art you, and the craft. I can't remember. I know that your family is not is more of a political family, right? Yeah. My family's in politics in Chicago. Yeah. 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 So, but not so not theater no. so much. Okay, no. and then. How did you end up doing theater? Since you said theater is your I was on I was on the basketball team in high school. That's right. And, and you realized Yeah, yeah. I realized I just you know, audition I auditioned for a play randomly and I thought, Oh wow, this is I can do this and so um I gave up sports or basketball, I should say my I, I, I thought I thought at the time I had a burgeoning basketball career. But you but it, it you did though. You must have had a. I mean, what you were. You said you loved it. Yeah, it you was, were good was, at it. You just didn't think great. you were good enough. Yeah, I don't even think at the time I knew if I was good or enough or not. I probably had all the bravado that oh, any okay. young that man any had kid that has. I could yeah. go to the NBA. Yeah. But um, I just fell in love with theater. I fell in love with um, the art form, and you know, later studying it at DePaul, at other places, studying Shakespeare. Yeah. I just thought, I can do this for the rest of my life. So you, Oh, you knew it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. Yeah. So you knew it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then if you had to, like, 
like the next thing you want to do. Like you have, are you doing exactly, I talk to people sometimes and they're doing exactly what they want to do hmm. or they're excited or sometimes they're like, no, I want to pivot and in a year, like we talk about, you talked about five years. So what's your five year, what do you want to do in five year in your five year plan? Do you have any grand? Yeah. Well, I think that a big part of my artistic life right now is Steppenwolf. Okay. Is um, leading the company. There are some things um, that industry wide that I would love to see changed. Okay, that, I want um, to know what they are. I mean, there's a there's a long list. Okay, right? let's start with one. Um, uh, more pay equity for oh. for uh, people in the arts, okay. theater theater specifically. Um, yeah. There's um, there's just not you know you can't most of us cannot live uh, let alone thrive on a theater salary no right. so um we'd love to change that okay um uh diversity equity yeah. inclusion is, is very important to me um getting more people involved who don't who, who historically have not been a part of the mm-hmm. theater community mm-hmm. I think doing King James has been sort of eye-opening for me because so many people have come because they love basketball mm-hmm. or they love LeBron or they love mm-hmm. sports and now they're you know they're coming to a play and they go this is my first play I've ever been to yeah and I loved it you know? yeah so um, I think there's a lot a lot of work there to do and do you feel like um the work with the pandemic and everything have you have you been able to start dive like are you diving in now or are you were you in the when did you start take over you and Andre our first day was oh. um as artistic directors yeah. was September 1st of um 2021 yeah okay yeah. and now what's happening uh the seagull happened no yeah we just we just closed the seagull okay. it was our first theater in the um, well, yeah. Speaking new, of in, new spaces, yeah. is it gorgeous? Oh, it's it's yeah, it's all inspiring. I walk into it and I'm just blown away, and it, I actually get very excited about one day being able to perform in that theater. But it is this beautiful in the round space that is state of the art? These wonderfully uh, resonant um, acoustics. Mm-hmm. It is um, yeah, it's a it's a playground. I love that the I love that space. But yeah, we just opened. Um, our first play we opened there was The Seagull, um, an adaptation of Chekhov's The Seagull by mm-hmm. um, uh, Yasin Payankov. Mm-hmm. And uh, he wrote and directed it, and it it was fantastic. And, um, yeah, so now that now that theater is open. Are you, um, do you have uh, any uh, things exciting that are, uh, probably a million things that are happening, but like television or film-wise or... For you, or, or yeah, or your company, or anything that you, yeah, what's happening? Well, we have Steppenwolf just announced its new season, so the fall. So we'll start. We'll we'll have that season um, beginning this fall that we're excited about. Um, it's the first uh, season that Audrey and I were able to curate ourselves, so that's exciting. Um, what does that mean? Like you're in charge. Like you have to plan the whole shit, or yeah, like yeah. so, like if. They come. You have all the plays out there. Yeah. You have a literary person, I'm sure, and they say, "Okay, this is all on the table," yeah. and then you read them all. Yeah. And then does lively debate ensue? What oh, yeah. Happened? Okay, okay. We have an artistic team that we go back and forth over plays, <gasps> and we decide. You know, obviously, have, it's. Have you made an announcement? No. Yeah, we announced oh, our season. So in it's announced. April, I think. Okay, it was, yeah. what, what are you super excited? I mean, you're probably out. I love them all. Okay, um, but all, like, 
Are you, do we know if you're, are you going to be in them? Can you be in if, them? Am I going to be in yeah. one? Yeah. Um, or you can't say. Okay. I, I, I don't know just yet. Okay. I just don't know. Um, um, but we'll, it's we'll possible. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's going to be exciting. And your play closes, and then will you leave here to go back to Chicago? I leave here, I go on vacation, Good. and then um, I'll go back to Chicago, and then I do a play in the fall called, well, Downstate. Oh, you're doing, doing Downstate? It. Yeah, we do that in New York in the fall, and then um, uh, we have, Terrell and I have 10 uh, TV series. Did that you are say 10? In development. Yeah, yeah. 10? Yeah, yeah. We have 10. 10 se- Holy yeah. crap. Congratulations. Thank you very much. So, ten, ten seed development? Yeah. I guess that's how it works. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Good for you. So, we'll look to go into production on one um, later this year. And uh, yeah, we're pitching shows always. And um, so, yeah, that's most of my days are, you know, pitching shows, working on development with our, our executives at Universal. And uh, managing the theater, so picking plays, you reading have like plays. A, a very full life. And doing a play. <laughs> Do you love your life? Yeah, I love it. Yeah. yeah. Do you regret? We we were just I'm in a book club and we were talking about regret. Mm. Do you believe in what's your idea? What someone says to you, what do you think about regrets? Do you have them? Do you think it's bullshit? Do you think that regret is good because it makes us? We had a lively discussion about regret the other night here mm. at the office. What was the consensus? Well, some people are like, no, there's no such thing as regret because in the moment you do the best you can with the choices you have. But I actually think regret has been helpful for me because things like I regret that I didn't do certain things. It's not about judgment for me. It's more about like I'm maybe it's sadness. I don't know. I regret that like my mom and I never talked about X before she passed. Right. Mm. Or but I don't say and I'm an asshole because of that. I just say I regret that. But other people say no, no regrets. Like live your life with no regrets. I don't know. Where do you fall on this? I don't know. I think that I think um, if we're all honest with ourselves, there are, there are things that maybe in our past that we rather, that we maybe wish we had not done. Yes. Done in that same way. I, I think that's the sort of notion of a regret. You know, you wish you made a different choice. Yeah. Um, to varying degrees, but I think that at least when most people say, because I understand the notion of hey, there's no regrets. You you had to make the choice you were going to make to be the person you're going to you're right. going to be. I get it. So I think that. Um, I think more to the point for me is there are regrets. You just have to live with them. You just have yeah. to learn to live with them. And, you know, all of us decide or make a make a choice of how we're going to um, um, sort of, um, how do you say it? It's a word I'm looking for. But how you sort of assimilate all your choices into your person. Oh, like integrate them. Yes. And like... Yeah become like accept them or like yes. at least own them yes maybe and like, like yeah i did that in. it is what it is you know people say all the time it is what it is i think you're saying yeah, it is what it is it didn't turn out in my favor but you know what what else was i gonna do I, I, that brings me to my final i'll let you go because you're, you're a, bit, a busy human um but like what do you do when things don't go your way how do you because I think a lot of people that listen to the podcast um, um, are coping with like regret or, and also rejection. And when things don't go your way, whatever that means, yeah. how do you, as a person, as an artist, however you want to answer it, how do you get back up? How do you, 
how do you keep going? Yeah, I think that I learned this this trick years ago where I go, where I thought to myself, I'm never going to, whenever I audition for something, yeah. I am, I am, I will not covet it. I will do everything in my power not to covet it so that if and when I don't get it, which you usually don't, right. um, you didn't lose anything. It That's was never yours. Coveting is a, is an interesting word there, right? Because it's like it means sort of to um, try to clench yeah. or hold on to or grasp and like control. Yeah. All right, so you say that to yourself. Yeah, it gives me a sense of relax relaxation going into the room. Look, if I get it and it could be life changing, awesome. But if it doesn't, my life is where it is today. Awesome. I'm yeah. Still, I'm still well, I think good. Yeah. part of the thing that I noticed with you is like that you've built such an awesome life anyway that like stuff will add to it if something mind blowing comes along. But it's not as though it's the only thing going on, right? Yeah. So like you have so much going on that you seem to love that if you don't get book a job, it's not going to make the whole house fall down, yeah. right? Like it's not the whole entirety of who you are as an artist. Yeah. This is um. This goes back to a. a an experience I had when I first moved to LA, I was in, I was a an intern at a casting office, and that's something I would actually suggest right. actors recommend okay. that they do because you get to see what the other side looks like. Yeah, and I remember being in there, and this this guy comes in for this audition. He's this Emmy nominated actor at the time, and uh, he has like this four page monologue, and I'm reading with him. Four pages. Oy. He's reading through it. He looks down at the pages maybe twice. And he got it the night before. So he did this enormous amount of work. He's reading through it. I'm looking down at the pages trying to remember. And I just have one line. Of course. Responses. That's how I'd be. And he finished it. He is brilliant. He, he finishes did, it. He did a yes, great job. He did a fantastic job. Okay. He's brilliant. He uh, gets up right away and says, well, look, thank you all. Thank you all so much. Um, and um, have a nice weekend or whatever. Yeah. He didn't linger. He didn't say, "Do you need more?" He yeah. didn't say, "Hey, had you know?" Oh, wasn't that great? No, Whatever. He just left out, <gasps> and he did not. It seemed like something else was pulling him out of the room. Like he had other places he had a to life. go. He had Things a life. to do. Something, something else. This wasn't everything. He goes out, and the director. I mean, the um, the casting director. There's there's just this hush for about ten seconds, which is a long time after somebody leaves a room after yeah. just auditioning. And it's all executives in the room, and me, and the so casting director. this is like director. a big one. Yeah. This is like a callback. And he says, um, um, the casting director, she says, the casting director says, um, that's why he's Emmy nominated. And then there's another beat or two. And then the, the lead executive says, yeah, but he's not right. Oh. And so that was it. And so what it taught me was... Even if you go in with and you're you're doing all the right things, yeah. you're playing all the right beats, yeah, you're, you're you like, are the guy. There's yes. a version of that show in which he was fantastic and went on to right. win awards and right. all the things. Win the whole thing. But he wasn't right in their estimation. So it took the pressure off of me of trying to have to be right for everything. Yes. Yeah. Like we can't be right for everything. You're and not gonna be right for and everything. And what's not yeah. ours is not ours, like you're saying. Like you can covet something all you want, but if it's not meant for me, yeah. it's not coming to me. But it, it mattered to him no less because he still went in and knocked their socks off as an actor. And that's the narrative that, that comes out of that room is that he wasn't it's, right, but wow, he's what, brilliant. And, Wait till he is right for the right. And something. also it had quite an effect on you. And, and now you're telling me the story and then it'll be told on the podcast. And so it's um, it matters, right? Like it's yeah. a ripple effect. 
So he might not have been right for that part. You know, there's a, a friend of mine's a casting director, and she always says, um, uh, you probably know her, Mickey Pascal in Chicago, mm-hmm. and she yeah. says, not yet for the person. So it is not, no, it is not, they're terrible. Yeah. You know, she said, not yet. It's not yours yet. Not yet for you. Not yet. Yeah. And I love that because it, it, it sort of implies that something's coming. We just don't yeah. know when and we just don't know what it looks like specifically. But it's just not yet. And I was like, oh, it's such a more, it's like an open way to look at these jobs rather than just like you did with a, he's just not right for it. It's, he, he was brilliant. Yeah. And, there, and like you said, there's a version of that show with him in it. But this not this one. Yeah. And so it's, oh, it's a, I, I think that that's great, and I, I, I think young actors really need to hear that, which is yeah. not yet, and you're not going to be right for everything. You can't be. Yeah, can't it took be. a lot of pressure off me to have to be perfect, and I just started relaxing and just, you know what, I'm going to do the best job, my version of this, this character, and then if I get it, awesome. If I don't, I haven't lost anything. Right, know? and and I think I think what I'm getting just from this from this interview, too, is the idea of building a life with, that is full of things that I or anyone loves to do, yeah. not just one thing, so that if, if one thing doesn't go, in one area doesn't go, like, perfectly, I can still be like, thank you, have a great day, yeah. I'm going to go out and live my life that yeah. is, like, really dope over here, I have family, I whatever the things are. That's exactly it. Right, so you're, like, not dependent on this one yes mm-hmm. to, like, be okay. Yes. But I think it's, it's yeah. It's it doesn't hard. define you. It right. doesn't define your happiness. It's just like a part of your day, yep. right? Like it's one part of your day and then you go on and do your things and have your conference calls with Steppenwolf and whatever, yep. eat a sandwich or whatever. So I remember this one, one friend of mine years ago said, I look at auditions as my one opportunity to act that day or to perform or to tell a story. And I have my two minutes, I go in and I do it and then I let it go. And I yeah. throw away the sides and I yeah. I, 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 uh, I go home. That's, so I mean I think that's great. Like I think I think taking the pressure off and also uh, right sort of what I call like right sizing things. You know, like I've I, I've said in before I got into rooms like I have seen the face of hell and this is not it. Mm-hmm. We're gonna go in and we're gonna do it. Yeah. Alright, so I will let you go because you're very you're very busy and you have a lot of things going on. But I, I just wanna thank you and I also wanna say like I have a lot of hope. I mean I, I love Audrey and now I, I adore you. And um, I think that the American theater has a real opportunity. One of the things that I'm noticing, especially in the fuckhole two weeks that we've had in terms of yeah. the Supreme Court, um, um, that w- we have a lot of opportunity. Like things are really, really hard and terrible. But I also think that anytime there's something really terrible, there's also an opportunity for the counterpoint to that. So I'm hoping with the American theater and art in general, perhaps that maybe we can be part of that counterpoint of all the terrible shit that's going on. And I'm hoping that Steppenwolf. I can't wait. To, I'm going to see what the season is is going to. You don't have to tell me what the season is. I'll look it up. I think you and Audrey should be in all the plays, <laughs> and it's probably not going to happen. <laughs> but um, but no, I am hopeful. I am still hopeful. Are you still hopeful about things? Oh yeah, okay. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I wouldn't do it if I wasn't. It's um, it's not a job you want to take on with a sense of hopelessness. You have to really believe mm. in the in the sort of prospects of um, the the artists involved and the sort of theater landscape itself. And same, you, do you think the same holds true for like film and television? Are oh, yeah. you still hopeful? Yeah, film and, film and television have this thing that theater doesn't, and that's called money. Yeah. So whether you're um, 
you know, I know a lot of folks who are on TV shows yeah. who are, you know, maybe not creatively inspired. You know, we've heard that story a lot, but they're getting there. You know, if if it's if it's an exchange of um, dividends for their time, then they're being paid in comparison to their counterparts yes. in other industries. Yes. They're being paid handsomely. And so that brings you a sense of happiness it or does. a sense of fulfillment. Yeah, it know? helps your family and you can yeah. at least do. So that's true. Like, I think that that's, yeah. Well, you seem to have found a mix of the things that you love and are important to you. And I think that that's something that that is that is brilliant, that we don't see a lot. So I, I say keep keep on. I mean, of course, you're going to keep on. But mm. um, thank you for talking to me. Thank you so much for okay. having me. My you, pleasure. Yeah. If you liked what you heard today, please give us a positive five-star review and subscribe and tell your friends. I Survived Theater School is an Undeniable Inc. production. Jen Bosworth Ramirez and Gina Polici are the co-hosts. This episode was produced, edited, and sound mixed by Gina Polici. For more information about this podcast or other goings-on of Undeniable Inc., please visit our website at undeniablewriters.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you.